0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Kurt Elster, the Shopify guru and the man of many design talents, and we'll be talking about designing for e commerce today. Hey, Kurt.
1: Hey, Jane, thank you for having me. It's my honor and pleasure. I'm excited. But before
0: we get started, I'd like to mention that today's episode is brought to you by Remark, fast and professional formatting for your reports and proposals. Go to Remark.io with a queue and use the coupon code UIBreakfast for a 20% lifetime discount. Thanks for listening to that, Kurt.
1: <laughs> I, well, hey, I pl- I've been using, uh, I had no idea that Remark sponsored this. I've been using Remark uh, since the beta. I love it. It's a great piece of software.
0: Well, that's fantastic. So... Uh, we usually get started with asking you five bliss questions to get an idea where you come from, what you do, et cetera, et cetera. Is
1: that fine? Please do.
0: Fantastic. So, Kurt, what do you do for a living?
1: I'm an e-commerce consultant. I help Shopify store owners make more money.
0: Is that all? Maybe some elaboration? <laughs> sure.
1: Well, so within That's that, very uh, there's, there's been a lot of things I've uh. uh I wrote a, a book, e-commerce bootcamp, that we sell that's wonderful. I host a video series called e-commerce hacks weekly. Um, and probably the thing I'm, I'm best known for is hosting my own podcast, the unofficial Shopify podcast. Um, that I'm very proud of. We've got month over month growth for the last two years. Um, it's just a great free resource for people. And that's probably how, how most people, um, hear about me, get in touch with me is by, by first finding that, that podcast resource. Um, and prior to that, uh, I've been doing web design since, I've owned a web design agency since two
0: thousand nine. Whoa, yeah, you need to tell about that because the next question is, how did you get there? And (laughs) that's a long story. That's that's seven years of owning an agency, and I imagine that wasn't your, you know, baby step in the industry.
1: No, so I started. um, Yeah, no, I've been all over the place, but I started with. uh, I was an e-commerce product manager for a. Uh, Dropshipping, an auto parts dropshipper, and I was like, Well, I know the, I'm like, I know marketing, uh, sort of, and I like the internet and I like car parts, so let's give this sh- a shot. And it, it worked well, I was good at it, um, but I really I wasn't satisfied working for someone else. And it wasn't my boss's fault, I just, I don't have the personality for it. I need to be, I need to have agency over my own life. And one day I was going to work, putting my shoes on, and I started crying. at the like I was just like, I can't do this anymore. So I quit my job with no plan. And I said, then three days later, I said, I'm going to build my own e-commerce platform because I had no idea how hard that would be. <laughs> and so we, did, we had a proof of concept, but we couldn't get it off the ground. And I didn't want to go find a job again, and I wanted to keep the lights on. So I started uh, just finding local businesses to build WordPress sites for and I would charge like twenty five hundred bucks, like 2500 $2, bucks, which I thought was a princely sum. And I would we would build custom sites. I would custom design them, we would custom develop them. And I thought that was like really good. Um <laughs> and it grew, but it turned out we were good at it, and it grew from there. And I suddenly I was doing um work for creative agencies where we were developing custom WordPress themes. Um we built stuff for Verizon, the NFL, Hilton Hotels. And in the meantime, I had a friend who owned a bike shop and he said i need a better website i said well there's this thing called shopify let's try it and again not knowing what we don't know our first shopify project was hey let's design and build a custom theme and because of that <laughs> like it worked it really wasn't that hard um, and because of that they said hey we've got this thing called the shopify experts program you should join it why you know you built a custom theme hop on board so okay and i started getting leads through it and every time we finished an e-commerce project i think to myself oh that was easy it wasn't that it was easy. It's that we were good at it and we enjoyed it. So finally, uh, about a little over two years ago, I said, why aren't we only doing Shopify? And once we niched down to just Shopify, um, that's when the magic happened. That's when our, our business really took off um, and we uh, became very happy with what we were doing. We greatly enjoy our clients, um, but have, have plenty of work to choose from.
0: That's fantastic. We just talked to Philip Morgan about the magic of what happens when you become a specialist instead of being a generalist, and that's exactly what happened to your business.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And Philip Morgan's The Positioning Manual, you know, I read that. That was extremely helpful and instrumental in in doing this and and working with him on it. Um, But yeah, uh, just niching down to e-commerce and I I love it I love I love e-commerce because you could quantify the results and what frustrated me frustrated me so much about design before especially doing design for clients was well you know you, you'd get feedback that was like well I don't really like this color blue I'm like okay the thing is I don't care uh, and you can't <laughs> say that to someone you know if you're like okay well let's talk it through let's talk about why your dog doesn't like the color blue and why that matters to this project and instead um, with e-commerce. It's very, you know, the end goal is, well, we want to make more money. So you can always, uh, reframe design decisions instead of these, these qualitative things about like whether you like or don't like it. It becomes, Hey, does this help people? Does this make it easier for people to buy from you? Yes. Okay. Well, then it makes you more money. So we really don't care whether you like it or not, client. We, (laughs) we care what the customer thinks, right? And that was one of the, the very freeing things that I loved about e-commerce was being able to quantify results.
0: That's fantastic. What does your
1: typical day look like? My typical day. So uh, my alarm it's set for six thirty, and the I that's that is the that's the cuddle alarm. I don't ever bother to get up at six thirty. I just roll over and spoon my wife, and then around seven, <laughs> then I'll finally get up um, after having ignored the alarm for thirty minutes. Then I'll get up, uh, <laughs> I'll get up, watch the Today Show make breakfast sandwich, come to work, and I actually I schedule all my meetings in the morning. I like to do that. Um, so even like this, you know, I'm recording it in the morning now. Um, and that way I book. I've got everything together. Because if I have a meeting in the afternoon, like I'm just not productive until the meeting's over. So I like to just do them like boom, boom, boom. My sales calls, client calls, podcasts, whatever. Do them all in the morning. I eat lunch at my desk. Probably not a great productivity habit, but I bring lunch from home. And then the afternoon... Like based on, you know, what I've done in the morning, what my, in, and I don't, I have not once looked at my inbox until after this. Um, and then I'll finally, finally check my inbox and make decisions about, all right, here's the three or four things I want to get done uh, this afternoon. And I'll do that. And then around four o'clock, I'll, I'll check my email again, run through it. And by five o'clock, I try to go home and there's like, that's an ideal day. Obviously there are days where I'm here until six 30, but not often. That's great.
0: What do you enjoy the most and the least about your work?
1: What do I? Um, hmm. The most, the thing I enjoy the most uh, is when someone has a, like a fun product, a product I like uh, that's you know neat and original. Where I'm in the target market, but then I also get to help sell it. Uh, so I greatly enjoy it. It's really fun if it's something I'm passionate about. Um, not even passionate about, it, just something I enjoy. You know, like um, I love uh, cycling, and I just started working with a client who's a distributor for these. Incredibly cool mountain bikes. So automatically, like it doesn't feel quite so much like work um, when it's I get to play with product listings for mountain bikes. It's like okay, this is cool. I like doing that. Um, <laughs> so that I like a lot. Uh, the stuff I don't like is about my work is occasionally wrangling with code, trying to do uh, technical stuff, or you know, running up against like a a not great solution. Um, where someone says, oh, okay, we, we need our store to do X, Y, and Z. You say, oh, well, uh, we need an app for this, and that's not possible. And then they say, well, if we can't do that, it's the end of the world. Um, so running into like technical limitations or trying to find workarounds for like what are these really edge case situations, that's the thing I hate the most.
0: All right. What is your next big thing?
1: My next big thing, uh, I'm working with Jeremy Green, the guy who made Remark. Uh, oh. <laughs> to build, yes, to build a, a Shopify app, um, that will enable people to run crowdfund style pre-orders in their store. Uh, we did it for a, uh, uh, this design company that made just kind of called factory FCTRY. They make just like whatever goofy idea pops into their, their hipster heads, they make it and they've got all these cool products. Um, and I don't—I say hipster not derisively, but because they're from Brooklyn and they just make cool, goofy things. Um, and one of their ideas was, "We should make a Trump action figure." And this was before he was—before he became president-elect, and we didn't think that was at all conceivable or possible. Um, yet here we are, <laughs> and so we built this. You know, but they already had an audience, so they said we didn't want to use Kickstarter. They said we wanted to run a crowdfunding campaign on our own website, on our own Shopify store. Do you think you could do that? And I like. When people present me with interesting challenges that have good reasons, I love those. So I said, you know what? Let's figure it out. So we did, we like talked back and forth about it. And in an afternoon, we had our proof of concept and it worked. So they put it up. Um, and I could send you the link if you want to include it as an example. Well, um, yes, please do. And the thing ended up at, they said, well, we want to raise $15,000. It ended up at uh, last count was over $100,000. And I had a few other people say, so, wow, that's really cool. You know, we'd love to do that. Um, with our stuff too, so that's when I said, you know, maybe we should just make this an app. Um, and G- Jeremy, at this, it was just serendipity. Jeremy Green, who had built Remark, said, uh, "If you ever have an idea for a Shopify app, I would love to get my hands dirty with some Shopify code and see if I can make that happen." And I said, "Well, actually, I've got, a, I've got a validated idea that's perfect.
0: That's a great thing to work on, and it's exactly inside your niche too."
1: Yeah, absolutely. So now we've got, you know, if I could get a Shopify theme going, I would have, you know, Shopify professional services, Shopify, uh, I've got all kinds of Shopify content, and now I'll have a Shopify app. If I could just get a Shopify theme, I'll have all my bases covered.
0: All right, awesome. So before we start talking about designing for e-commerce, let's go back to Remark, and I will elaborate a little bit more while why it's awesome. So... Um, Remark is fast and professional formatting for your reports and proposals. As we all know, presentation is super important, but formatting tools can be a nightmare. You know, word processors trying to export them to PDF, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And with Remark, you can focus on making your content awesome and valuable, and your presentation will be perfect every time. You'll just get a beautiful PDF in a second. So, try it for yourself today go to remark.io r e m a r q .io and use the coupon code ui breakfast to receive a 20% lifetime discount which i think is super generous of jeremy
1: <laughs> i had discussed i mentioned yeah, I, I authored this book e-commerce bootcamp the hardest part i thought would be generating the book i used remark to make the ebook and then now I, like the hardest part was done i then all i had to do was worry about writing it
0: yeah, just a little bit of effort, you know, a few months of writing, and you're there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was probably about we. It was about eight weeks, um, and I I did the thing where I set I announced the deadline, so I couldn't miss it. And there was some, there was a very frantic few days oh, before no, we you launched actually, it.
0: <laughs> actually, you can miss a deadline very, very much. Oh, <laughs> I know a few people, including myself, who's been, who have been there.
1: <laughs> I didn't. I didn't miss the deadlines. So very. I'm proud of that. But yeah, it was it was rough.
0: Oh, fantastic! So uh, we have an audience of great designers and great founders and managers listening to us, and they all want to know the basic principles of designing, you know, a shop, an e-commerce store. And I imagine one of the things would be not to build a custom one if you're just starting out.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely! Building a like a a custom theme. So the you know with e-commerce. I think you probably end up revising features and functionality um, and layout organization way more with an e-commerce store as your products change versus, say, something like uh, a blog, like a WordPress site, where you really you know if the content's changing, it's still just an article, right? With mm-hmm. e-commerce, the functionality behind it can really change quite a bit. And that's where having a custom theme... Um, we always say we say custom themes, you know, like up front you the sky's the limit, you could paint a crazy canvas, you know, does, if you could design it, you could then build it, but then the problem comes in maintaining it. Cuz even like a month after you launch it, you say, "Well, okay, we want to add subscriptions." Well, now suddenly with a custom theme, it can be problematic. They could be harder to maintain. So, oftentimes I think it's better until you have a really clear idea of your market, definitely better to start with a um a premium theme, you know, not necessarily a free theme, but spend, you know, the hundred, hundred fifty 150 bucks on a good, um, thir- like existing theme that you could just buy and install.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh Could you get us acquainted with the core principles of, you know, designing the layouts for the store or thinking about them in terms of design?
1: So fundamentally, um, you know, with... With e-commerce, people often think about, like, oh, my competitor, my competitor this, my competitor that. Your biggest competitor is the back button. Someone's going to Google for a pain or problem. They've got something they need solved. So I'm going to Google you know, purple widgets. And if you're lucky, they find your site. Maybe you've got great SEO or you're at the top of the list um, with a, a Google shopping ad, and they go through to your site. The first thing you're up against is if they don't think they landed on the right site, you've got like two, three seconds. This site's got to load fast. And if it loaded fast, then they need to be at a glance, be able to see that, yes, this is indeed the right thing. So it's helpful to have your logo right up in the upper left because people read in in an F pattern, throw a tagline right under there, um, have a big hero image, and then really treat it like a sales page. (coughs) Um, and so that way you, you want them to know right away, yes, this is the thing I'm looking for. I've got the right answer. Oh, thank God. Now I can add it to cart. Once you've got – so once you're there or they've made that purchase decision, they want to put it in their cart, you need to make things as conventional as possible. You have to – and that's where things get interesting about e-commerce. So other websites, you've got some – I think you have more leeway. E-commerce is – where being conventional absolutely pays off. So I'd say the, the, top, the top 10 e-commerce websites, everybody's bought from them probably several times. It's so like Amazon.com and Walmart.com and Jet.com and The Gap, all these websites. If you notice, they have pretty typical layouts. Really the only odd man out is Target. And I find Target's website incredibly frustrating to use. Um, so if you can stick... To those conventions, if you ever say like, oh, well, how should I label this? Or, you know, where should I put this? Go see what Amazon is doing. See what, see what Walmart's doing. Because they've put in it, it really doesn't matter if they even put in the research. Whatever they do, you, they've then trained everybody else that that's how we shop.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think this principle is applicable in other industries as well because we are all trained to an extent by, I don't know, Dropbox, by our operating systems, etc. But in e-commerce, you have such a short attention span of a user and so many competitors and lifestyle situations, so many other options that it's really, really critical to be traditional in your choices. Absolutely. Uh, What can you say about, um, you know, let's go through a few most typical page layouts. One is like the product overview, then, um, I mean, the product like grid, and the other is a product overview, and then the card page. Could you give us a few hints about designing uh, these?
1: Absolutely. So on a, uh, so the first thing they they drill down to is a, a collection or category page. Um, within a collection or category page, what we found is, and this is kind of interesting, uh, you ever see the quick view where you can like uh, mouse over something or click it and then it pops up like a modal window with a description of the product?
0: Mm-hmm. What we found
1: is interesting about those is they never seem to help or hurt conversion rate, but they always bloat load time. Um, so oftentimes we just turn those off. Just make your life easier. Don't even bother designing a quick view. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think they help any. Having a really a, clean, a visually clean grid seems to be what what works well. So having you know not trying to pack too many items into a row. So say you only have like list three products across um, on a page. I like longer pages. Uh, so say like forty eight products per page with three across in a row and put them in a grid and then give them some like give them some nice white space between them. Um, and really focus on, this is where it's great to be a, a finicky designer, focus on that white space and that attention to detail just to get a really clean grid. And then give them, the only functionality you need to add to this thing is sorting. So if you can add, if you can think like a librarian, add some nice tags, some nice taxonomy, um, and then some a sorting feature, I think you're, you'll are you have nailed your, your category or collection page.
0: I think I have one question. Do sure. you need... Add to cart button within the grid itself, or is it fine to keep it to the product page itself?
1: We so I've only tried this on uh, I think two stores. We did the add to cart on the collection page, and both times it hurt the conversion rate. I don't, I can't tell you how. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, test the stuff on your own, see what works. Um, It's always interesting, I would say, start with conventional and then try testing some things to see what they do. Um, But no, they it actually that. They that ended up hurting, and I couldn't tell you why. You know, and one of the stores we tested in sold... They sold condoms online, so oh. that's kind of like an odd... I mean, that's a pretty unusual niche, um, so...
0: <laughs> um I just always had an impression from the you know information architecture standpoint and the composition standpoint they really make they make the layout busier and they bloat the space you need so it really information density hurts really bad when you add yes. action buttons Yeah, par- but um yeah
1: paralysis analysis is like the <laughs> biggest thing that stops people in e-commerce stores. These stores get really, yeah, they, you're right, they get very busy, they start getting bloated, you know, the design is, is busy, and it affects load time. Um, I think that stuff hurts.
0: I can hear how you organize uh, items within a category, so you have like maybe a couple tags, uh, sorting, as you mentioned, uh, some other fine tunings, but uh, what really intimidates me uh, and I don't even have a general recommendation for people. How do you organize the top, tex- tex- top taxonomy, like the main menu if you are, you know, if you have 10 types of goods in your store and they so, really don't fit in one menu level very well?
1: This is this one... Uh this is one of the things that I, when we got into e-commerce, that I struggled with. But I was very grateful for. I had had a friend um, who was huge into content strategy and information architecture. So if you read like a couple, couple books on content strategy and information architecture, uh, it helps quite a bit. Uh, it really does. Um, and I would think. Like, you have to, I always, when I tell clients about it, I said, you have to think like a librarian. You know, what would be the sensical way, the logical way to organize this? Um, And again, going back to convention, if it's broad categories, I'll often go look at how Amazon has their categories broken down. And even then, I'll see them and sometimes think, gee, I don't know that this makes sense, Amazon. Um, (laughs) And this is also where it's really helpful. So, this is sidestepping the question, but it's really helpful to have a prominent search with autocomplete. Um, so that if you have a ton of products, people don't even have to mess with your navigation. You know, if they're looking for, hey, I want rain boots, I could just type rain boots into the search box, and it auto, it, you know, hopefully it'll it'll autocomplete and have a little like picture, and then they can get straight to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think there are two basic patterns. One is you know reserving the left column for extra categories and tags and filters, and the other is positioning filters on top. Uh, yeah, this is definitely designer in me speaking. Uh, Do you have any idea which of them works better, or which of them is more trendy?
1: Typically, well, so uh, what I typically do, and because I'm I'm trying to follow convention, but this is also what I see in a lot of Shopify themes. I will use the um, the sidebar. To break things out by like on a larger scale, so that I would use you know the upper navigation for your broad categories, maybe with or without drop downs, or maybe as a mega menu. In that left sidebar, um, I will tend to break out uh, new ways to organize the items in the collection. So I'll say like sort by vendor um, here, sort by tag, and then I'll in the uh, the upper sort um, I usually do either uh, two drop downs, one for sort by tag. Um, and this is where you have to be really careful about tagging your stuff so it's consistent and makes sense. Um, and then the like sort by best selling, sort manually, sort by like price high to low.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any? Do you run any research with your clients as about what kind of filters people tend to use and which of them they neglect, or is it more? Are you the right person to ask about it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, you know, I did, no, truthfully, I, I'm shooting from the hip with a lot of this stuff, um, with that kind of thing, just because we're not deep, because we're on Shopify and because I prefer to work with, uh, I like niche stores, just as my own business, I, I niche down. I like working, working with niche stores, which typically means they don't have hundreds of products. So I mm-hmm. don't have to get into like really crazy stuff with, um, organizing products. It's a, it is, it is nice, um, but, yeah, no, I don't have, a like, a formal way to do it.
0: You know, actually, if you, if you did, I would be really scared <laughs> of you, <laughs> even to say so. So, like, in product design, the answer is, again, make your whole thing simpler, focus on something, and then you'll have less problems organizing the rest, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Did you want... Uh, <laughs> so that was... That covered collection pages. We haven't even touched on product. Right, heart, right. That was my checkout, next All that right. good stuff. <laughs>
0: Let's do that. So the product view page, or how do you call it?
1: A product page, product listing page. Product listing mm-hmm. is what we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, tip, I like to do, um, I want my, my big product photo. People are visual. I want my product photo to be the first thing right in the, the upper left. And then on the right side, I want to do... Um, that's why I, I want them to be able to purchase, have their add to cart box. So I'll do like title, price, you know, any of the options, add to cart. Uh, if you haven't, uh, if you've got different colors for an item or patterns, I would really encourage you to do color swatches, like a a swatch picker, you know, where they can click and see. And any e-commerce platform should be able to let you do that. I know in Shopify we do it as an easy modification to themes, um, and then go into either your product description. And then your reviews below that would be the basic. That's the very least I would do. And if you want to get fancy, um, look at, again, look at how Amazon does this. And this one we've tested. We know it works well. Um, if your product has is more technical, stick to specs. You just do bullet points on tech specs and then move into maybe like a, a couple paragraphs. If your product doesn't have any of that technical stuff, so let's say you're not selling hard drives, you're selling blazers. So for your blazer, you you know just have skip the the bullet points and just have a, a more narrative um, paragraph about it. A really fun one to check out is the J Peterman catalog it's really it's like tongue in cheek it's over the top but it's really clever and engaging and they have these long interesting narratives about these products um, so having longer like narrative type descriptions if it's not um, something that's specy spec related like a hard drive per se um, <coughs> Excuse me. Tends to work well. Like the the biggest conversion rate optimization thing you could do on a product page is have really great descriptions. Um, and a great book on the topic that we've both read is The Brain Audit by Sean DeSouza. Yes.
0: Yeah. And it's about writing
1: sales letters. So if you treat that product description like a sales letter, you know, especially if it's not like, you know, you're not for selling video cards, this probably isn't going to work. But for a lot of things, um, treating that product description as a sales letter. Is great, but it's very long, and people want to be able to scan. So that's why I would say lead with bullet points, and then go into um, a longer, like a, a sales letter type format for your product description, and then uh, social proof—just uh, a reviews app like Yatpo works on tons of platforms. Really phenomenal, um, and that even has adds SEO value as well.
0: Hmm. I would like to mention that the big part of the description is the product name itself. Um, any advice on that
1: uh, sorry you cut out there a second. What was the question
0: uh the product name itself uh, oh. so yeah hints on how you name that actually make it longer shorter include specs or anything
1: um, good question if it's more of a what we found is if it's more of a luxury item, you definitely want to go with the like the very the very terse description um a really good example of see like to see these differences is if you go through like Apple.com uh, and you're looking at a MacBook. It's both a luxury item and a, a specky tech good. So those pages are just like there. There's tons of there's more white space than product picture, um, and then like just some bullet points and just very just MacBook Fit Pro 15 inch and that's it. So with a if you have a luxury item, I would say do the very be. Um, the very short description on there, um, but for everything else, I would look at Amazon. Again, le, it's a Amazon sellers are really sophisticated, so I like the the very the much longer descriptions that they use. Um, let's say, oh, I wish I could think of a good example. Um, hold on, I'll find one very quickly. All right, I should I should vamp while I talk. So here's a good example. I work with a client named Cozy Phones. And he just recently had – he started on Amazon and just recently had his Shopify store exceed his Amazon sales. Congratulations to him. Um, (laughs) CozyPhones.com, they're fleece headphones. It's like a fleece headband with headphones in it. It's very cool, Mm -hmm. very practical, $20 product. Um, Here's their title. you ready for this? CozyPhones Kids Headphone Volume Limited with Ultra Thin Speakers and Super Comfortable Fleece Headband – Perfect Children's Headphones for Home and Travel. So that's a really like, that's (laughs) the extreme version, right? That's a great SEO title, but really what they're doing is optimizing it for Amazon search. So for your e-commerce store, like that's the extreme example. I wouldn't do that, but somewhere in the middle saying like cozy phones, kids headphones, um, super comfortable or, like ultra-thin speakers and super-comfortable soft-fleece headband. So having a title that's like five to ten words, that's a phrase that describes it, just makes people's lives easier, because at a glance I could see, especially if I'm comparing products, like, okay, this is what this is um, at a glance, and then I don't have to mess with quick view or any of that stuff.
0: So Kurt, let me ask you one question. Did you have uh, or did you observe any uh, store owners who have a very unusual or very authentic or very, you know, like uh, informal voice or do they bring uh, magical stories or something like that in their narrative? What do you think of that?
1: Having an authentic voice is one of the most hugely powerful things you could do. Um, You know, if it doesn't interfere with like conversion rate, but so, all right. So one of the things, if we've got a big store, we'll use, we'll do surveys and we'll use people's own natural language. Uh, that they use in the survey results. And that's a good conversion rate optimization technique. But really, what are we doing there? We're adding, we're getting people out of this like business writing and using natural language. And that's what really gets it to work. Um, so having that authentic voice, really powerful. A good example, great example, is Violent Little Machine Shop. It's violentlittle.com. Um, we work for them. Can't take credit. I mean, this guy did has built a great business on his own. Um, <coughs> he sells, they're called Morale Patches. Therefore, so if you're in the if you're in the the armed forces, um, they have gallows humor. You know this really like dark sense of humor, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he sells. He was in the uh, armed forces. He sells products for these people. But like as an example, on his homepage, his shopping categories. His first category is just new shit. So then, if you go mm-hmm. check out new shit, there's his new products. Um, but he writes in this really. Um, it's very like PG thirteen, and he just talked. It's like stream of consciousness. I asked him once. He said to learn the, to get the voice, to get over himself. He would like write it late at night uh, while drunk, and then that's how he mastered the voice. And now he just does it. Um, are you serious? Yeah. And it made like so. He's. I'm like. I'm like. These newsletters are really compelling. They're great. He goes. Yeah. Well, that's how I started. Was I write these newsletters drunk? <laughs>
0: All, right, all kinds of writing. So yeah, that's like a, a really—it's
1: <laughs> very. I mean, that's like the absolute extreme end, but it, it worked really well. So yeah, no, being—if um, you could be your authentic self in there, that—that's a great place to start.
0: One more question about product images. Any advice on optimizing those? Like, use gray background or white
1: background. Use you know people instead of using objects or something like that. I would always shoot, well, so I, I divide them into, I call them two kinds of, there's two kinds of photos. So you've got like, um, we say like product photos on white, uh, or when you see um, like for clothing photos that aren't on a person, we call those lay flats. Um, so you always want that, that very conventional, just like product photo on white. I think is the default because it makes it, and then those look really nice when they're in. If you've got like a whole collection with forty-eight products laid out in a grid, and everyone is perfect and on on this clean white background, it looks really great. Um, but it also helps, you know. Uh, I would say do both. So like I would use that as my primary image, and then I would always show the product in use. It really makes it so much so appealing, so much better to see it um, in use in, and I call those lifestyle photos. Where I want to see like what this this almost aspirational photo of like what my life would be like with it. So and what's fun about those is they're often more authentic if they're not super polished. So like the product photo on white, you want that to look good. We don't want dust or anything in there. Um, So polish (laughs) that one up. But the lifestyle photo, if you like, even if you just shot it with your iPhone, that could be powerful. So a good example is EverestBands.com. We've been working with them for years. Um, They sell replacement watch bands for Rolex watches. So very much this aspirational good. And they've got these really beautiful, perfect product photos. And then they have lifestyle photos in there as well. And I shot some of them. Um, But what we learned when we surveyed customers was, hey, we thought people were using this because they wanted to to gussy up uh, to customize the Rolex watch. They were wearing them because they wanted to wear their Rolex while doing active things and not worry about destroying the bracelet it came with. So we took picture like, I literally took pictures of myself wearing a Rolex with their strap on my bike. And then we included those on the product pages and the conversion rate went up. Had we not done the mm. survey, we mm-hmm. wouldn't have known that. But, do like, having those action shots really does help.
0: I think a super great example of that is jewelry because jewelry uh, images are very hard to take. Uh, you know, on white background. It's,
1: it's, it's tough. It's,
0: it's excruciatingly, you know, <laughs> hard even for a professional. However, even if you have those, but you don't have, you know, that image of that earring on a real ear, they, may, they they don't bring any value because you don't see how it's going to look like in real life.
1: Yeah, it's hard to visualize it. Because remember, online, you're at a big disadvantage versus in person. I can't see it. I can't touch it, I can't smell it. Like there's, I can't try it on. So you really want your photos to have I, I would, like I would people say, how many photos do I need? As many as'll fit like as many as you have, put them all up there, because um, you want to show the, you know the product in its best light from every angle, and then also show it in use.:
0: Absolutely. So next to what page we have next is it a checkout or the cart page?:
1: So once someone has added the item to cart. They probably will end up on a cart page, you know. And there's some, if you're only selling one product, I'm sure you can. An interesting hack is just skip from product to checkout. Um, so on the cart page is where we wanna we wanna start answering some questions and start working on that trust, getting people to trust us, because it's a big deal to go from like, you know, if I go into a store, I know that you know business licenses were paid for, leases were signed, and they can't just disappear overnight. They could, but probably not. Versus it's very different buying online. Buying online is the equivalent of like a guy in an alley saying, hey, I've got some stuff in my <laughs> trunk. You want to buy these T-shirts out of my trunk? And you're like, uh, no. <laughs> By the way, I only take credit card. Just read the digits to me. Like that's a scary proposition. Um, so in the case of e-commerce, you have to build trust with people very quickly. So um, in the in the shopping cart is the next place they end up. They click add to cart. And I like to make their life easier. Just take them straight to the cart. I've seen people do things where i will just say, like, I added to cart. Or uh, like a modal window that's like, do you want to continue shopping or go to, go to the cart? I say just send them straight to the cart. One less step. Don't make me think. Just put me into the cart, and then I'll make my decision. Um, <laughs> so a couple easy things. Uh, for whatever reason, this always drives me crazy. It's such a simple thing. In the checkout process, or in the, the cart, they always say, the button is always labeled checkout. Um and I much prefer to label it proceed to checkout because checkout, I think, implies, like, I'm just going to magically get tr- my credit card, even though I haven't entered, it's going to get charged. So I think making it clear, the clear, proceed to checkout. I like that better. Um, this is also where you want to start removing everything extraneous. We want to start thinking like a landing page and have one single clear call to action. Um mm-hmm. And then if you offer, this is also where you want to, you don't want people to be surprised. So if you charge shipping, you probably want to state it in there, like, hey, it's going to be, like, here's your subtotal. Typically, a card only has subtotal. Say subtotal plus, uh, plus taxes and shipping. So start preparing them. If it's a surprise at checkout, they're just going to bounce. Um, but if you offer free shipping, and you really should at this point, um, <laughs> I would do like this is also where you want to mention it where you would just say like your subtotal is $99 plus free shipping um or it's pretty trivially easy to add like a little calculator if you have a threshold um, we did this for Bandon Dunes golf shop they sell golf gear um and we dramatically boosted their conversion rate when cuz they charge 100 you have to have $149 in your cart to get free shipping so we added a note a little calculator that if or if order is over 149 it would say Congratulations, your order qualifies for free shipping. And if it was less, we would just do the math and say, you're $23 away from free shipping. Um, in doing <laughs> that, we both increase the conversion rate and the average order value. So oh, that's if you a have, great recipe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a clever trick. Um, this is where you want to make the checkout. Uh or you want to make the cart, you want people to be able to verify this is the stuff I wanted, this is what I added to cart. So you know, I say go with a very straightforward like table layout where you've got the product photo, the title, price, quantity, and then show them the subtotal and any notes uh, like whether or not they're getting free shipping, that kind of thing, and then just have one single call to action, which is proceed to checkout
0: great. I think it once once again it all you know. It shows us that labels are super important for call to actions. If it's a intricate process like you know registration or something like that, or checkout like in e-commerce, make sure that your label reflects that. And here, your little note shows exactly that.
1: Yeah, and I think oh, um, using color isolation is great in e-commerce. So like, pick a single color that you use for add to cart, proceed to checkout, and purchase. Mm-hmm. And then that way you train people that like this is the color to look for, and this is what works.
0: Yeah, according to the color theory, it should be very, very standoutish as opposed to the rest of the uh, site color theme. And even like if you have orange in the logo, it's better to reserve orange for your call to action and just, you know, make the logo, logo grayscale or something like that. That's probably an extreme, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that the call to action stands out really well. That's applicable to everywhere <laughs> in the internet.
1: Uh, so, uh, Checkout process. All right. And once we get into the checkout process, uh, I'm loading up an actual checkout right now. So this Great. is a good example. <laughs> uh, again, you really want to make people feel safe. So number one, make sure your checkout process, it should be very clean. Like you're, now we're really going to, sh- we want to strip away navigation from the rest of the site, but still make it look like it matches the site. Like it's often I'll go through a, a store's checkout process and it just suddenly looks like you're on a different store. Um, and if you look at Amazon, they do this too. It still looks like Amazon, but like the header and footer are gone as soon as you're in that checkout process. Um, Must be for a reason. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's to um, it, you know, it so that there is literally only a single call to action on that page. There's nothing else mm-hmm. you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would make checkouts, you know, consider like think hard. Do people really need to register an account? Like I never register an account when I when I check out. I think it's just an unnecessary step. Um, Shopify does it in a clever way. They put it at the end after you make the purchase. They say, "Hey, now, do you want? If you give us a password, you'll make an account." Um, so that way, we we simplify things. Um, but again, the the biggest thing we want to do here is build trust. So, and the smartest way I found is incredibly simple, and I see very few people do this. You always have your logo in your checkout, so they know they're they're still in the same store. Um, underneath the logo, just this is going to blow your mind, right? Questions, <laughs> questions, question mark. Call and then the, your phone number. People aren't going to call you, but they will be thrilled to death that you have made yourself available. <laughs>
0: and Great. That, that, that's, that's Patrick McKenzie. Role.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's such a simple. It's very simple, um, but it, it does work very well to, to boost conversion rate. Um, and then the the other process. You, know, you could do things like try and use geolocation to simplify filling out the form, the address form and address validation and that stuff. Just try and have as few fields as you need. Like if you don't need people's phone numbers, don't ask for it. Just try and eliminate as many fields as you can. And then you know the other big st- sticking point for people is shipping methods. Right. They have weird feelings and opinions about shipping. Like, how are you shipping this? You know, if you can ask two people the same. I don't know if it is like this in other countries, but in the U.S., it's like who who's better, UPS, FedEx, or the mail service? And like, you will get three totally different opinions about it. Um, so you want to be very clear about how you're doing your shipping, but you also don't want um, to introduce too many choices. So, and I see people do this where they'll have, and part of this is Shopify's fault. They have a feature called carrier calculated shipping where since it knows the zip codes of the recipient and the sender and it knows the weight of the item it will then calculate to the penny what the shipping is and then like just barf out every possible shipping method available from whatever carrier you use so I've gone through shopify stores where it'll be like choose your shipping method and literally give you twenty options oh <laughs> so you definitely you don't want to do that um, I would simplify it uh, and offer two Two shipping methods, and that's it. So, number one, uh, I would general. so let's say you use the US Postal Service. Tell them in the shipping rule the name, the exact name of what you're using, the carrier in the service, and the expected transit time. So, so an exa- if I was sending it via the Postal Service, I would say USPS priority mail, comma, two to four business days, free. So, number one, I want to have a free shipping rule. And then if someone wants it faster, give them an upgraded option. So, again, using USPS. We say USPS Priority Mail Express, comma one to two days, nineteen ninety five. So now they have two options. The default is free, and then if they want, they can upgrade it to faster shipping, um, and that just radically simplifies it. And if you go on Amazon, you'll see they do. They always only it's three options. It's like free, two like free one day and same day.
0: hmm Great. So after they check, uh, they get the shipping option done. What's next?
1: Now we're going to send them to our, our payment method. That's where we, mm-hmm. we, you know, we want to wait to the last step to say to give them the payment method. And in this case, uh, I would, again, so they don't have to fill out as much, um, simplify it so it defaults that the billing address is the same as the shipping address, and obviously they need the option to change it, but just default it to it, um, have them enter their credit card number, ask for as few fields as possible, so card number, name on card, expiration date, CVV, um, and then also give them one alternate option. So you... Uh, I would probably always do PayPal. So either let them put in their credit card directly or let them enter PayPal. I think those two are pretty default standard. And PayPal's great because you don't have to enter your address and uh, you know it's, it's more secure than just giving your credit card directly. Um, and this is also, there's an important note to add. You know, I would say, I always relabel the payment section. I call it secure payment method and then add a nice note. All transactions are secure encrypted. Credit card information is never stored.
0: Great. Uh, this is all called trust building for you people. And there is an yes. impression that adding like little lock signs is a good method also. Whenever you have an input field for like, yeah. For that sensitive information surrounded, like with the containers with the lock sign, so that there is a proximity from the design standpoint and the lock sign and everything, so that people can feel entirely safe.
1: Yeah, we always stick um, in the card number field, we put a little lock icon, little gray Aww. lock icon in
0: there. <laughs> right. And after they hit the pay button, uh, there must be some smart ideas what to do next.
1: So there's some, there's some couple of things you could do now. Uh, one, this is when people... So two things. This is when people are most excited about their purchase. Uh, there's some great customer service opportunities in here. And uh, what's interesting is the receipt, that is the one email will always have the highest open rate, is the receipt. Everybody opens the receipt. So in your order confirmation, that's actually a great opportunity in that order confirmation email to offer an upsell in there. Um, so if you've got like a complimentary product... Uh, that you can offer as an upsell or cross-sell, it probably makes a lot of sense, to in the order confirmation email. Say, hey, here's a coupon code if you wanted to make a second purchase right now. Um, <laughs> so that adds quite a bit of value to to both sides both sides of things. Um, and then on the the order completion page, that's, and I'm I'm death on social, I don't think um, social media is, is particularly useful for selling e-commerce, um, but this is the one time it makes sense to, to give people the opportunity to share their purchase on, um, say Facebook. It's on that order mm-hmm. confirmation page.
0: All right. Great. I think we need to wrap up today's episode, even though there is like a bunch we can discuss. If you were to give, uh, two pieces of advice to the person who's just starting out with an e-commerce store and wants to get design recommendations, what would be your two recommendations?
1: Uh, number one, worry less about your competitors. You're, Biggest competition is the back button, so stick to focus. You know, on uh, making your website as easy to use as possible and as obvious as possible. And try and always remember, no one spends as much time on your site as you do. So very rapidly, you'll have a you you won't be able to see the forest through the trees. So always look at people who haven't seen your site or don't see it as often as you, and try and try and get their opinion on it, um, and watch them try to use it. It will be enlightening. Great. That's great. And advice number two? Advice number two is stick to conventions. Study what the big boys are doing. Like Amazon, if you're ever like, should I do it like this or that? Go see what Amazon does. Go see what Walmart does. Look at those sites um, and try and apply those principles to your own site. Sounds great. Kurt, where can people find you online? Uh, head to kurtelster.com, K-U-R-T-E-L-S-T-E-R.com. i got some resources up there, um, and you can uh, sign up for my newsletter. I host a podcast about e-commerce. comes out once a week. Um, and if you head to our agency website, ethercycle.com, um, slash resources, I've got a ton of free resources um, for, for Shopify and e-commerce uh, professionals and store owners.
0: That's fantastic, Kurt. Thank you so much. I think this was an amazing niche episode, and people who are, you know, somehow relevant to stories will have a ton of takeaways. Thanks for sharing your expertise today. Thank you for having me. Uh, and have a lovely day.